So this morning, I wanted to look at, or we were going to discover Christ and the gospel in the early life of Joseph. Um, just I, I love how, as born-again believers, um, we have the privilege of, of finding pictures of Christ all over the Old Testament. One of the reasons why I chose um, that particular song to sing. Um, and when I say pictures, just to define it, you know, um, they're kind of like similarities um, to Jesus, you know, and if you're studying your Bible at all, you might call them types or symbols of Christ or shadows. And I like the word shadow because, um, you know, a shadow is like a silhouette of somebody. Um, you don't quite see all of, you know, the detail, but you can recognize them maybe perhaps from a shadow. Okay. Um, and Jesus can be recognized all the same in the Old Testament through a lot of little small details. Okay. So um, in the song there, um, the second verse had, Jesus being the widow's cruise of oil that um, sustained um, the widow and her son, and Elijah, I think. Um, Elijah's meat in the wilderness when he went, um, he had um, meat provided to him, and he went uh, on that strength 40 days to get to uh, Sinai, I believe it was. And, um, you know, obviously the, the fourth person in the fire there, when Nebuchadnezzar... Uh, threw those guys in, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, the fourth, the uh, likeness of the fourth was like unto the Son of Man, the Bible says, and so on, okay? So um, here, I'll just, I'll just pray, and um, we'll, we'll continue. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would be with us this morning, Lord. Um, Lord, we, we read in your word that you use the base things of this world, Lord, the foolish things, and um, I just pray, the Lord, that you'd help me this morning, Father, um, just uh, that you'd, your spirit will be here, Father, and that um, you would accomplish your work and the things that you need to do, Lord. Um, I have no power of my own, Lord. There's nothing in my flesh. There's no goodness in me, Lord. Um, but we have your word, Father. So I pray you'd help us, Lord, uh, give us understanding this morning, Lord. And um, uh, I pray that um, we'll all be able to testify, Lord, that we'll have heard from you personally, Lord. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if, um, I know I said Genesis 37. Um, I'd be, uh, just turn to Corinthians a second or whatever. Hold your finger in Genesis because we'll be in there for pretty much the whole time um, or going back and forth. But um, before we were saved, we were unable, we're unable to see or understand the Bible like we ought to, okay? Um, so if you turn to 1 Corinthians 2, you'll find that truth written there. In 1 Corinthians 2.14. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Okay? So um, we have this, as it were, veil over our eyes um, that, that stops us from seeing the Bible. Like, you know, the gospel is so simple. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again. Okay, and that, can, that work of righteousness can be applied to your account. But for that, to understand that, like it's just something that's otherworldly. It's supernatural. It's spiritual. And, and it takes time for someone, obviously, um, the seed of the word of God to grow in their heart, for God to give them um, illumination or whatever the word is. Okay? So the pastor was just teaching last Wednesday, and he talked about that part in the Bible where when Jesus died, when he cried out, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost. There was an earthquake, and the veil of the temple ripped apart in two, and it fell away. And now, all of a sudden, the priests 
who perhaps for a whole, their whole life never even seen the Holy of Holies because that was for the, the high priest. It was open unto them and they could see it with their own eyes. Okay, So if you think about Saul, when Saul got saved, um, when uh, Ananias came to him and he said, um, you know, God has sent me that you might receive the Holy Ghost. Um, then when, when he put his hand on Saul or Paul, as we know him now, his, um, on him, then it says, the Bible says, there fell as it were scales from his eyes, okay? And he received his sight again, okay? And then he rose and sort of went baptized, got baptized and all that kind of thing, okay? But he was able to see. And now all of a sudden, if you think about it, you know, he, this man who studied the Bible and he studied under Gamaliel, this guy was um, a top-notch, you know, Old Testament or Jew Jewish teacher, I guess you could call him. Um, he, he knew the Bible inside and out, but all of a sudden, everywhere he looked now, he could see Jesus because the Holy Spirit was in him because he was saved, because now God had given him understanding that he hid, didn't have before. Okay, so we have that um, now after we get saved as well. We're made a new creature in Christ, and where God gives us um, that ability to be able to see and study and find Christ um, pretty much everywhere you look in the Old Testament, okay? So that's why we're going to Genesis 37. I had another verse there. I might as well read it out while I'm still in Corinthians, but if you guys can go to... I guess for the sake of time, to Genesis 37. But I'm <laughs> just turning here to 2 Corinthians 3.14. Um, and it's talking here. It says, but their minds were blinded. It's talking about, um, I think, the Jews here. Because they were talking about Moses and the children of Israel in the verse before. It says, for unto this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. And it makes a statement right at the end, which veil is done away in Christ. Okay, so that's 2 Corinthians 3.14. And a little bit of... Um, that's the verse there where I talked about that, okay? Um, so now we're in Genesis 37. So essentially, we're just going to go through just 37. It's, it's really hard to just pick a just a part, one part of Joseph's life. It, it's, it's my favorite story. It's, it's amazing. Um, it's a huge story, but um, I said I better put a lid on it and just keep in Genesis 37. So we're going to go through Genesis 37. We'll kind of just try and understand it almost like um, a basic, you know, a, adult Sunday school lesson or whatever. But then we're going to go back and we're going to see those details um, and find Christ in those very details. You'll probably see it already as we go through or whatever, but um, this is essentially what we're going to do this morning. Um, so I'm in Genesis 37, and I'll read here from verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Okay? So this first part is just introducing Joseph. Um, if you go back a few other chapters before, you find that Joseph is born in um, Padan Aram, or however you pronounce that one, where when Jacob was living with Uncle Laban and helping him out. And uh, Joseph is born just before uh, Jacob decides, I'm going to need to get out of here. Um, so um, now we're introduced here that they're all living in Canaan, and um, all of them except for, and Joseph is 17, but all of them except for Rachel. So when Jacob decided to leave his uncle Laban and go into the land of Canaan. Um, uh, Rachel 
was pregnant and she ended up passing away um, on, the, on the way to Bethlehem, I think it is. Um, so she ends up giving birth to Benjamin, but she doesn't see the land of Canaan herself or doesn't go to this place, I guess. Okay, so um, then we read on and we're saying, we find out that Joseph is helping his brothers. Um, the particular brothers are Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. I don't know if that matters. And um, he's helping them look after the sheep, but he's reporting back to his dad all the wicked things that they get up to. Okay, so, you know, he's like a tattletale, or you could say, or he might be called a goody two-shoes, or these kind of things, okay? <laughs> um, but that's what Joseph is doing. Um, and the Bible goes on then and says that he's his daddy's favorite, and he gets this special coat, because he's the son of his favorite wife and <laughs> the son of his old age. And, um, you know, this, this kind of coat of many colors Getting colors back in the day obviously was quite um, an ornate thing to do. So it would have, this coat would have been more suitable to like a ruler or some sort of royalty. Um, so um, obviously the brothers noticed that they didn't all get coats like that. <laughs> and uh, you know maybe it was expensive or things like that. And they start to get bitter and they start to hate Joseph very much. And basically they can't talk to him like civilized people. Yeah, okay. Um, so that's the situation that we're in. It's a difficult family situation. You know, never mind, we didn't get onto the number of wives and all that kind of stuff. Sounds pretty crazy. But Joseph now, on top of all that, he's young and um, he has this dream, okay? It doesn't sound like an unusual thing, but we'll find out why it starts causing problems. So I'm in verse five now. And Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it his brethren and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood around about, and made obeisance to my sheaf. <laughs> and his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Okay, so yeah, I said he was young, and he's naive, and he doesn't realize the fuss that he's causing by telling his dream. And um, basically in the dream there, you know, They've got these cereal crops like wheat or something and they bind them into these bundles and they tie it around and they throw them over to the side or whatever. But um, all of a sudden in Joseph's dream, his one starts standing up and then the other brothers ones stand up and they come over and they start bowing down and paying respect, you know. So his brothers are livid. <laughs> all right, so this is the little, the little pipsqueak, the little squirt guy telling them, you know, they had, some of them have families, their dads and all that kind of stuff. And he's um, saying, oh, you know, you're gonna bow down to me someday. Yeah, <laughs> and he's delighted with it, and they're kind of like, you know, beat it, Joe, before I beat you up, you know. All right. So, um, yeah, he just doesn't understand, you know, that he's like stirring the pot or whatever you want to call that kind of thing, okay? So he's had a dream, and that causes the guys to hate him even more. And then on another day, he has another dream, and guess what? He doesn't keep his mouth shut, right? <laughs> so verse 9, he dreamed yet another dream and told his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. So, you know, his, his dad, he tells a dream to everyone, and... Um, his, you know, they all understand what the dream means. They all understand that the sun and the moon are the father and the mother, and then that the eleven stars are all the, the other sons, and that, um, you know, that Joseph is dreaming that everybody will be, um, 
you know, just he's the center of the universe, basically. You know, that kind of thing. You know, we used to say that when we were kids or whatever. You know, the, the world doesn't revolve around you. You know, that kind of stuff. We used to give out to each other. Um, but his dad also scolds him and says, um, but despite the, the telling off or the rebuking, um, you know, it says that Jacob observed the saying. You know, and we kind of were starting to get into these kind of similarities. Um, um, do, you, do you know someone in the New Testament pondered these things in their heart? Yeah, there you go. Okay. So um, you see how as, as a New Testament believer now we start to go, oh, yeah. Okay. So anyways, we'll go on. Getting ahead of myself now, bringing out all that stuff. Um, so I'm in verse 12 now. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem. Come and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, here am I. And he said to him, go, I pray thee, and see whether it be well with thy brethren and with the and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he, he came to Shechem. So I'll just pause there, and, uh, you know, Joseph is sent out on this, um, when you look up the map or whatever, it's about 40 miles away, sent on this 40-mile journey by foot, and to see um, how Jacob's sheep are getting on, and uh, also the brothers. <laughs> and, um, you know, we find out um, in a minute there that um, when Joseph gets there, they're, they're nowhere to be found. Okay, so I'll just keep reading. Um, and a certain man found him, verse 15. Behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, Ah, oh, they are departed hence. For I, I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, um, even before he came onto them, they conspired against him to kill him. All right. So he's got to travel another distance or whatever, and he spots his brothers in the distance and sees the sheep and all that kind of stuff wherever they found a suitable place to graze the sheep. Okay. But um, Joseph walking around in the wilderness with his coat of many colors is kind of like someone wearing a high-vis vest, you know, maybe jogging at night or something. When you start shining the lights, all of a sudden there's this, you know, big bright thing. So his brothers see him probably ever before he sees them, you know, that kind of idea, all right? And um, the brothers are exasperated. They're like, oh, no, you know. Um, if you read here, um, where does it say? Um, where am I? Yeah, in verse 19, they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh, you know. It's like, oh, no, it's that guy or whatever. Probably going to tell us another dream he had or whatever. Okay, so they're, they're like, oh, you know. Um, but we, we'll read on a bit here, um, maybe I'll try to 22. Come now, therefore, verse 20, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, some evil beast had devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father. Again, so... Um, one of them, um, I, I think possibly Simeon, but based on the fact that Simeon gets jailed for a while later or whatever, it seems to be the harshest punishment that comes on the brothers. But um, one of them suggests that they kill Joseph and tell their dad that some wild animal has just eaten him. Um, and then they, um, they're like, yeah, and we'll see what becomes of his dreams then. And, uh, but Reuben disagrees, and he says they should throw him into a nearby pit. Okay, so... Obviously, he's the, the firstborn, the eldest, Reuben, so he gets to say what, what goes on, you know, like you know, when your parents go away and the eldest is in charge. 
and they get to call the shots. You know, I used to always be upset because GNA used to be able to always say, you do this and do that. Mum put me in charge. <laughs> All right. So Ruben says, no, no, just throw him in a pit here. And um, but he's got it, this idea in the back of his head saying, you know, man, um, I'm, how I'm going I'm to have to try and get him back to his brothers or sneak him off somehow um, and get him back to his dad. So um, somehow he, he seems to get called away. Reuben has to do something. Maybe someone comes over and says, oh, the sheep over here you know, need something or they've broken out of some place where we put them. Either way, anyway, Reuben gets um, taken out of the mix here. So we'll, um, we'll continue here in verse 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it, and they sat down to eat bread. I'm just going to pause there. So, you know, <laughs> Joseph comes up, they know that he's coming, they already have a plan, and they're probably all like, you know, hey, Joseph, good to see ya, you know, come over here, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, and Joseph's like, you know, is everything all right? And all of a sudden, then they just grab him, and um, they mock him, and, and they strip him out of his dad's coat, you know, and... Um, um, then, as per Reuben's orders, they throw him into this pit that's in the wilderness. So the Bible says there's no water there, and um, you know they kind of, uh, you know, they feel better about themselves already now, you know, because bitterness does that, you know. It says it defiles many, and um, uh, they sit down and relax and have a bit of bread, um, a bit of a neat for themselves, a sandwich or something, you know. But all the while they're ignoring Joseph screaming and pleading for them to let him go, to let him out, okay? Um, and so we'll continue. That's uh, a sad situation here. I, I stopped there halfway through. Verse 25, And they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come! Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. So, yeah, they're relaxing, and then the, these guys pass by um, on their way to the Egyptian markets, and... Uh, Judah has this bright idea, this moment of inspiration, as it were. And he says, oh, we can get rid of Joseph and make money at the same time. <laughs> yeah? By selling him. And the other brothers are like, yeah, that's a great idea, Judah. And um, they probably like draw him out of the pit and Joseph's like, oh, finally, guys, you know, that was a terrible prank or, you know, I think you went a bit far this time kind of stuff. You know, they pull Joseph out and he's probably feeling quite relieved. And then all of a sudden they're like, 20 piece of silver please you know the guys are like okay and they bind him in chains and Joseph is like what in the world and it starts to dawn on him what's really happening okay because it says later in Genesis 42 the brothers see the anguish of his soul but their hearts are hardened towards him as I just said you know and they stop their ears and instead they pocket their money ten brothers two pieces of silver each yeah no Joseph good deal for them alright so um, this is how Joseph gets sold, and now he disappears. And then I remember I said that Reuben was gone. We're going to see he, he comes back, and 
and there's even more drama. <laughs> Verse 29. Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, This is my son's coat. And an evil beast had devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's the ca and captain of the guard. Okay? So, um, you might know already that Jacob means deceiver, yeah? Supplanter, you know, these kind of Bible terms. So now in a kind of a, you know, comeuppance or whatever, Jacob is deceived himself, okay? So sometime later, Reuben returns, finds that Joseph is gone, and he's not so much worried about Joseph, it seems, than about himself, <laughs> all right? Um, so he's worried that he's, now he's got to be in big trouble with dad, okay? Um, so... They carry out the rest of Simeon, so I'm going to call it Simeon's plan, and kill a kid of the goats and cover Joseph's coat in the blood. And then they send a messenger, they won't go face to face themselves, and present the bloody coat to their father, telling him the coat was found, and asking if he thought it was Joseph's. The power of suggestion, they haven't said anything really. Um, while jo Jacob mourns for the loss of his beloved son, Jacob is also, or, oh, sorry, while Jacob mourns the loss of his beloved son, Joseph is also mourning the end of life as he knows it. As he goes to a foreign land, the people of a strange speech, traumatized by the betrayal of his brothers and the thought that he will probably never see his dad or brother Benjamin ever again. Okay? So that's generally Genesis 37 on the surface. Okay? And um, at this point, we see Joseph. We'll call him a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as we begin to reflect on what we just read, um, maybe you've already seen um, some details and circumstances that Joseph experienced that foreshadow um, what Jesus went through in his early life. So we're going to go back. We're not going to do all the reading because we've already read it, but we're going to go back and um, just over some of the details and see now where we find Jesus in all of this. And you'll be surprised how much. You know, I, just, I love the concept of Christ in the Old Testament. I remember coming across a whole book. It's like this thick, and it just says Christ in the Old Testament, and it's only going through a few verses, a few chapters, you know, and we have... It's amazing, and you know, read, read it as you know, of all the things that were to be written, or were written about Jesus. You know, it says at the end of John, you know, the world couldn't contain all the books that should be written. It's amazing. Okay, so when we double back, remember we were introduced with Joseph. Okay, and we saw him the firstborn among many brethren, as he was the first child of Rachel, at least. Okay, we find him a shepherd, born into a specific time and situation. All right, and beloved of his father, but hated by his brethren. Okay. So when we look at these details, now as New Testament Christians, okay, we see Jesus, like Joseph, the firstborn among many brethren. We find that in Romans 8. We find him the good shepherd. Okay? He says, I am the good shepherd. And we find him born into a specific time and situation. If you just turn to Galatians 4, we'll be turning a, a little bit here.
Galatians 4, 4. For when the fullness of the time was come, so when the right time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Okay? So, same idea, you know, um, God decided the perfect time, um, you know, that Joseph was um, born at a specific time and God had a plan for his life, as we say, okay? And what the brothers meant for evil, like Joseph says later in Genesis, God meant it for good, okay? That, that, that many might be saved or delivered, obviously from hunger in this case, okay? And, um, you know, if you read like Esther, you know, um, Mordecai counsels her and said, you know, you're surely you're put into this role for such a time as this, okay? And then in the same way now, Jesus has come in the fullness of time. And it's the perfect time in history where he needs to come, needs to fulfill the Lord's will, and he needs to, to die for the sin of the world and, and be raised to defeat death, okay? So, um, so we find him the good shepherd born in a specific time situation. Obviously, he's beloved of his father, okay? Um, you know, after he gets baptized, he comes up out of the water, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, okay? But he's hated by his brethren, okay? So we have a couple of verses for that. Let's turn to maybe John 7. Now, we probably are more familiar with John 1. says, um, and he came unto his own, and his, his own received him not, okay? There's another one in John 7, kind of gives a similar wording. Oh yeah, this just says that he's hated. <laughs> so John 7, 7 says, The world cannot hate you. He's talking to, obviously, his disciples. But me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. So remember Joseph was telling his dad all the things that his brothers did? Okay, and they, were just in, they weren't upset that, or guilty, you know, feeling guilty, like, oh, we did, yeah, yeah, jo Joseph, we did wrong things, you know we'll stop, just stop telling dad or anything like that. They were just annoyed with Joseph because they, didn't, they weren't going to change and they were annoyed that they weren't getting away with it as easily, okay? And it's kind of the same way for us, you know. Um, we refuse to come to the light, you know, it says in John, um, because our deeds are evil, okay? So we're seeing a lot about human nature here and a lot of similarities. And um, Jesus, like Joseph, just went about doing good. Um, and uh, Joseph seemed to do good wherever he went. You know, we didn't read, but when he goes into prison, when he goes to Potiphar's house first, I suppose, just to say, he ends up being so industrious and diligent and helpful and prob good problem solver and stuff that Potiphar is all of a sudden he's like, why don't you just do everything? I'll just, you know, do whatever I want to do and as long as there's food in front of me when I want it and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, the horses are fed so I can go out and do whatever I want to do. I don't care what you do, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, it was almost the same case in the prison as well. Um, except for probably Joseph wasn't given a key to the front door. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he was. So this is the, um, some of the similarities. So as we go on, there's even more, okay? Um, back in, in um, uh, oh yeah, back, remember he, he started having dreams and things like that back in Genesis 37. So we find Joseph speaking of a future his brothers couldn't comprehend, okay? So... He was talking about these sheaves bowing and things like that, and they're just like, I don't know what to do with that, Joseph, whatever, just go away. Like, And um, in the same way, you know, um, Jesus spoke of things that 
people just didn't understand, okay? You know, the Bible says, I had not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him, okay? Um, so Jesus spoke in parables to the people which they couldn't understand because their hearts were full of sin. Remember I said that already. And um, instead they were just angry at his good words and deeds and envied and hated him. And, um, you know, like I already said, s some of us were the same, you know. Um, you know when, when, when my dad came home, he said he was saved. So I was like, yeah, good for you. It didn't mean anything to me, you know. And I was like, if it helps you, good for you. You know, I'm going to get a sandwich, you know. It just didn't mean anything to me at all. Um, and then he started talking about the gospel and, you know, things were different. There was tracks lying around. He was putting Christian radio on in the car and stuff like that. And um, I just didn't want, I just didn't want to talk about it. Just anything else, you know, right. anything else. Because I didn't want to talk about Jesus. I didn't, um, I wasn't saved and it just didn't, I had other things I wanted to do. I had my own life and I didn't know what Jesus had to do with it, you know. And I think a lot of us are the same way, and that's probably what the brothers felt like, whatever, you know, with Joseph. And it's obviously the Jews had their thing going, and they were very specific about how they ran things. And Jesus came along and rocked the boat, and they were like, just get out of here, you know. Um, so we're all the same, you know. Um, so then we find, as we go further on after the dreams, that Joseph is sent by his father. Okay, so maybe my wording is all already helping you. <laughs> He's sent by his father to seek his brethren. Okay, so you've read much of the Old Testament, you know that, you know, the leadership or the pastors in Israel all through biblical history were supposed to feed the flock of God, were supposed to feed God's people, teach them God's word, God's law, um, God's ways, okay? But very often they didn't do a good job, okay? Um, um, and Jesus came along, like I said, and, and started rebuking that. If you turn to Matthew 21, So we're just getting details from Joseph's life and all of a sudden we're actually just going through basic truths that we know because we've got the New Testament that happened to Jesus, you know. So it's just, just fascinating. Matthew 21 I have here, um, 37 and 38. Okay, so there's a parable Jesus said where um, a guy has let out his, his farm or whatever to um, some other farmers and gone far away it says, um, I was back in 33, and um, he's sending people while he's away to go and get the fruits that he's supposed to, to, to be getting from this farm that's running season by season, and uh, they're beating the servants and sending them away empty, that kind of stuff, okay? But it says here in verse 37, but last of all he sent unto him his son, saying, they will reverence my son, but when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. Okay, so much, much of a similar plan that, that Judah had, right? Except for, they didn't actually slay Joseph, they thought that, you know, circumstances would do that themselves uh, when he's a slave, but they did everything else, right? So, um, in the same way the Father sends Jesus unto his brethren to seek their welfare. Okay, you might know I'm come to seek and to save yeah, um, that which was lost. Um, and Jesus willingly went. So did Joseph. Okay, it says, uh, Lo, in the volume of the book has written me, I come to do thy will. Is that Psalm 40? But it's also referred to in Hebrews 10. Okay, and like Joseph, he found, Jesus found that um, God's people weren't where they were supposed to be. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. They had 
you know, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees had all of their own um, plans of how they would do religion, okay, but not God's ways, some ways that suited them. You know, if you know the, the concept of Korban, where they were, they didn't want to help out their elderly and stuff, they were, they wanted to keep money for themselves, so they had this whole tradition or process where they would be able to dedicate this money and they would be safe from being given to um, their family in need. It's, it's ridiculous, okay? And Jesus rebuked that, and, and they didn't go, oh yeah, you're right, they said, they hated him, and they just said, we need to get rid of this guy and destroy him. Okay, so, you know, and w even today, this same sort of stuff is happening. Like, I grew up Catholic, and, you know, um, especially in Ireland or whatever, with all the stuff that's happened in the last couple of decades, you know, Catholicism is turning, has turned a bunch, a bunch of people away from the, even just the concept of God, um, and sent them hurtling out into atheism or this kind of stuff um, very fast. And Jesus rebukes and says, you know, these shall receive greater damnation, okay? Because they were responsible and they were supposed to be helpful and they were supposed to be guiding people towards the truth and they were doing the opposite, okay? So, um, um, yeah, Joseph is sent out to seek his brethren and then in the same way, I kind of already mentioned it, his brethren conspire against him to take him. You know, it says in Matthew 12 that Jesus' brethren held a council against him how they might destroy, how they might destroy him, okay? And it seems like they've desired more than once to take Jesus, but they didn't go through with it, okay? Um, these guys come back to the council, the Sanhedrin, and they're like, where's Jesus? We told you to get him, you know? And they're like, man, never a man speak like he did. And they're like, oh, you know, and they're upset. But then this guy, Nicodemus, he stands up and he says, you know, shall we judge him before we even hear, you know, that he's actually done anything wrong or not? Like, there's just no due process here. And there's a similarity there between Nicodemus and Reuben. Reuben tried to protest that Joseph wouldn't get taken away, but it all happened anyway. And the same with, with Nicodemus, Jesus got sent to the cross anyway. Um, they eventually take Jesus away and strip him of his garment, like Joseph was stripped of his coat of many colors, and they set him at naught, okay? Um, so moving on again, just the same way, Joseph is sold to the Egyptians, or through to the Egyptians, or through the Midianites. Jesus is sold into the hands of the Gentiles, okay? so. The Israelites take him, they have this fake kangaroo court, as they call it, and then they send him over to Pilate, who sends him to Herod, who sends him back to Pilate. So um, might be similar to the way Joseph went from the Midianites, and then he went to Potiphar, and, you know, there's kind of just steps there. Um, and the only difference we find, so these, these are only shadows, and they're not always, like, perfect, super perfect fits. So Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, and Jesus was sold for... 30, excellent, okay. Um, so, um, Joseph is brought down to Egypt. And the same way, Jesus is also humbled and brought low. But, um, you know, Joseph was forced to go down. So now I'm talking differences or whatever. But Jesus, again, he did it willingly. This also willingly, okay. Joseph probably didn't want, well, definitely didn't want to go and become a slave and be sent away. But Jesus was willing to humble himself. You know, the Bible says he humbled himself in Philippians 2 and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross, okay? So there's, that's essentially some of the details. I'm sure someone else better can come out with a million more details just from Genesis 37, okay? So, um, you know, later on in Joseph's story, we get other details, like being wrongfully accused. Joseph was wrongfully accused, so was Jesus. Being imprisoned, being condemned along with two other malefactors, two other criminals, and one receiving life and the other receiving death. So... 
the butler survived, but the baker got death. And in the same way, for the, the, the two thieves on the cross, one of the thieves was in paradise and the other thief wasn't. Amazing details like that. And other details yet to be fulfilled, like, you know, obviously in, in our story, Joseph does become ruler of the whole world. Egypt was a picture of the world in the end. But Jesus hasn't taken that power yet, but he will do one day soon. All right. So what are we supposed to conclude from all of this? We're just going to wrap it up now, okay? And I've got three points for you here. For starters, it should cause our hearts, all of these truths, that it's just the way the Bible is written. We should be able to, we should, um, you know, like the psalmists in Psalm 19, stand in awe of God's word. Princes, it says here in Psalm 19, 161, princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. Okay? So, you know, we sing that song, this blessed old book, you know, um, it's w these every week or every day that you're in your Bible, you, you're, you're seeing, you know, like the Bible calls it, infallible proofs that the Bible is is supernatural, that it's special, that it's written um, not just by sinful men, um, but by you know all we have sinned to come short of the glory of God. But these men, holy men, were inspired of God, and they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Okay, and they were uh, able to be used of God to write perfect truths down on paper, okay? And we find stories, truths, and details wonderfully intertwined in such a complex way that it makes the wisdom of man foolishness, you know? The most incredible things that man could come with, up with. You know, all this AI stuff guys are doing now and they're like, you know, man, it's gonna change everything and soon we'll be able to just plug directly into our brain and we don't have to look on our phones and Google anything. Um, that's just, you know, foolishness compared to what God is capable of them compared to what he knows, okay? And you'll find, I, I'm sure you've had plenty of times when you, people have argued and they've written off the Bible in one sentence. They've written off God and said, you know, this and that, okay? And um, it's just, there's been so many people that have gone up against the word of God, but the word of God is still standing, okay? So I've got a poem here, it says, the anvil of God's word, I thought it was cool. Last eve, I paused beside the blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring, the vesper <coughs> chime. Then looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers, worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all these hammers so? Just one, said he, and then with twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought, the anvil of God's word, for ages skeptics' blows have beaten upon. Yet, though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed, the hammer's gone. <laughs> all right, so that's our first point. Um, just see how amazing the Bible is and um, how special it is and how we should pay our full attention when we get into it, okay? And then um, the second application will be Jesus for the unbeliever, okay? So for the unsaved here today, prayerfully the word of God is working on your heart and convicting it of sin, of righteousness, of judgment to come, like it says in John 16. So, you know, like Joseph, there's not a man on the earth that ha doesn't go through troubles. We've all gone through troubles. We're probably going through troubles right now, right? Um, as it says in Job, as the sparks fly upward. But like Joseph, how much rather to have what others mean for good, be, uh, what others mean for evil, to be turned unto good, like was done in Joseph's life, okay? And in the same way, you know, a lot of us go through um, some, some terrible things, you know. Um, in, in my life, um, you know, as a family, we struggled. Dad, dad was um, addicted to alcohol when we were younger, and um, all of our family went through tough times, okay? But when we look back on that, God was able to, to give us the oil of joy for mourning, you know. He was able to turn that whole thing around where, you know, 
um, you know, there's this one for, uh, phrase in a song um, this guy is speaking about when he's going through troubles and he says, the aching may remain, but the breaking does not, okay? So the, those past times, although they, they still hurt to think about when you go back, God has put a special balm upon those and made it all right. And he's given comfort because, you know, dad going through that, God forbid that dad would have, by his own strength, gotten dry and stopped to drink and the gospel never come into our home. But God was able to use that. Dad got saved and the gospel came into our home and it changed our whole family. So when we look up back on those tough times, you know, um, when Joseph later on, he ends up getting married and he has a kid and his first kid is called Manasseh. And he, the Manasseh means forgetting or because he says, for God had causing me to forget all my toil and my pain. So, um, you know, so for the unbeliever, you know, those things that we go through, if we could let God use those things in our life to bring us to him, um, then they'd have a plan and a purpose. They'd have a meaning, you know. But if we reject that, you know, then the things that we're going through, God can't, can't do that in our life. And, you know, um, it says in, in, in Ephesians, then we just keep going on having no hope and being without God in the world, you know, Ephesians 2. So how much better to accept the free gift of Christ's righteousness in the place of your own goodness? You know, it's written in um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the Bible says, Am I and your goodnesses, goodnesses are as filthy rags compared to the clean white robes of forgiveness and everlasting life that Jesus offers. So don't wait another moment. And, you know, you can cry out to God this morning. Amen. So... Jesus for the unbeliever and for the Christian. Final point. How about you? All right. The Lord says that he is with you like he was with Joseph. You know, if you continue on and you go, um, the story continues actually after, um, in Genesis 39. Joseph went down into Egypt, but it says the Lord was with him. Okay. So he didn't go down there alone. The Lord was with him. And he never left him or forsook him. Okay. And the Bible says the same thing for us. So, you know, we're learning about reckoning things to be true, truths to be true in the Bible. Pastor's teaching about that, uh, thus that in the last couple of weeks, okay? But are you reckoning those, this truth to be true in your life, that God is always with you and that he is working all things together for good? And no matter how much you don't like the situation that you currently are in and you wish you could get out of it and you don't understand what God's doing, why would he do it this way? There's a better way, surely. Surely there's a better way. God doesn't do things, you know, in half, half. God always does things the best way. If we would just let him. We're the ones that ruins his plans sometimes, right? <laughs> um, or just postpone them for a while, I suppose I should say. Okay? So, um, Joseph held fast to God, even when everything he felt and saw in his life said the opposite. You know? And Job said the same thing when he said, Yea, the, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Okay? So, I said there that God seeks to do a work in us, you know? And, you know, it says in James, you know, um, uh, let's go to James just for the sake of give you something to do. Wake up. <laughs> James chapter 1. I'll start in James chapter 1 verse 2. Verse 1 is just a greeting. James 1 verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into device, diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith work at patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. 
then I guess you could just um, skip on to 12. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he, so he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Okay? So in that same way, we need to let the Lord work on us. Um, Joseph humbled himself and he let God be God. God had him there as a slave. God had him imprisoned. God allowed that to happen in his life. And he could kick against it. You know, like Saul, when he was on the road to Damascus, you know, Jesus says, hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Okay? So he didn't blame his brothers because he could have just spent the whole time being bitter like his brothers were at him. He didn't blame Potiphar's wife. Oh, if it wasn't for that wicked woman, you know, I wouldn't be in here, blah, blah. I'm sure the thought went through it, right? It went through his mind, okay? It's not that we don't, these things don't pass through us, but we, we let them go. And we let the word of God stand above, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing it to captivity, bringing it to obedience, uh, every thought to the obedience of Christ there. All right? Um, he didn't blame God even, right? He let God be God and he let him do his perfect work. And we need that this morning as well, okay? And finally, do others see Christ in you the way they saw it in Joseph? Okay? The Bible teaches that we are the body of Christ and members in particular, 1 Corinthians 12. Okay? And that body, we're given a body to be able to interact with the world. I think, whatever, my soul wants to do something, I do that with my body. That, that motion comes out, okay? Jesus is, has a will um, for us and his body wants to go out and to minister and to go about doing good like Joseph did, okay? Um, and, you know, that's why pastor is teaching us, the Bible says, how, you know, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Because there's things to do. There's, there's stuff that Jesus would want us to do. We need to live no longer unto sin but unto God, okay? And why? Why is that so important? You know, th there's a couple of verses, but if you turn to Colossians 1, <coughs> Colossians 1, and this is our last verse. <laughs> Colossians 1. So I'll quote Matthew 5 while you're turning there. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So no more not doing good works to be like, Oh, look at me, I'm I great. You know, woohoo. We, we do good things so that others might, and they would ask us why, maybe, and we would say, I'm, I don't know, I'm a Christian. <laughs> Jesus would do the same thing, maybe. You know, these kind of different answers. We do it so that we could just help them. We point to God along the way. Point to the cross. It's not me. You know, if I was doing my own thing, I'd still be doing, down the pub, doing whatever, you know. But because of Christ, you know, I have the freedom to live differently. <coughs> so Colossians 1, last verse. Yeah. To whom God would make known what the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is, sorry, the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Yeah, amen. I'll, I'll finish there. So, Jesus in the life of the Christian, you know, God is with us. Are we reckoning that to be true? Are you letting God have do do his perfect work in you? And are you helping others by pointing by how you live um, by pointing to the cross? Because um, Joseph's life points to the cross and we're still looking at it and getting edification or joy from it today. Alright, so let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Um, 
some of it's hard to be understood, Lord, or sometimes um, it could take time to go through these things, Lord, and um, maybe it's not always epic or colorful or shiny, Lord, like the things of the world, Lord, but thank you, Lord, that it feeds our souls and that it helps us, Lord, and it glorifies you and it changes us, Father. So I thank you for your word this morning, Lord. I pray that you would use your word, Lord, to bless every soul here, and I pray that you would help us, Lord, not just to be hearers this morning, Lord, but to be doers, Lord, and to humble ourselves in those places where you, you point out to us by the Spirit, Lord, that we that things ought not to be that way or we ought not to have said this thing or we need to go to that person and, and speak kindly. Um, or perhaps there is a root of bitterness, Lord, that we need to uproot by the power of your word, Lord. So I pray that you would help us this morning. Thank you that you love us, Lord. And um, again, we pray for Pastor Lord that you would um, just bless him, be with him and Nita and bring him back safely as well. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.